Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the show. Today, we get the chance to speak with Raphael Nolden, who's the founder of Amy. Here's an excerpt from our very wide-ranging and interesting conversation. So Amy, like most AIs, and I'll say most, there's possibly some of the edges that are getting mm-hmm. smarter than this, are very specialized. So Amy can teach you how to do math, yep. but she can't tell you how to cook. Right. <laughs> right. She can definitely not take over the world or drive a car or anything like that. Yep. She, she understands her domain and can do that one thing. Mm-hmm. And no matter how smart she gets, that's all she can do. Right. So it is it is a very specialized AI and it fits within that category, like most of the AIs we're, we're dealing with now. Yeah. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Raphael. And if you do, you might want to check out the back catalog because there's more than 160 other interviews that have been recorded with people doing inspiring things and kind of pushing boundaries in some way, as well as the website at theseeds.nz. And there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn, there's a Facebook page. There's plenty of ways to connect with Seeds. And those of you who go out and promote it in your networks, it's really, really appreciated. Now let's get into this conversation with Raphael. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Raphael Nolden, who's the founder of Amy. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Stephen. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to have you here. And this is kind of Christchurch is where you've spent a lot of time, right? That's right. Yeah. I was actually born in Christchurch, grew up in the North Island, and then came back down here to study. Okay. And has been home ever since. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But now you're kind of traveling a lot around the world, right? Yes. I spend most of my time overseas now. Um, considerable amount of that is in Asia and try to come back every now and then to connect with some of my team over here and obviously work on business on the side of the world as well. Oh, that's great. Well, it's good that we've caught you while you're in Christchurch then. All right. So what we do on this podcast is we kind of explore what people are doing today. But in order to do that, I find it helpful to go back in time to the start of a person's life and just explore what it is that they've been involved in. Um, So in your case, could you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah, so I came to university and started off um, doing a degree in physics and went on to study medical physics and did some research in that area um, for a number of different projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just on that, let's get into that. But I'm really curious about sort of the lead up to that. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, going right back to your childhood, mm-hmm. like what sort of things did you enjoy as a child? Right. Okay. Sorry, I didn't go that far back. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a small town in North Island and was always interested in science and and that sort of side of things mm-hmm. i guess um and definitely preferred those sort of subjects when i was at school and thought initially that i wanted to be an engineer and my sort of key focus i guess was around how do we solve the transportation problem and looking at alternatives to internal combustion engines and others have obviously gone ahead and sorted that out now pretty well with elon musk etc doing that and so there's other challenges that need to be solved now so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and and that sort of interest in those things did you have models in your life like were your parents into that as well or or where did that come from do you think um no i think um my parents aren't university educated they you know they they had an interest in it but 
didn't really have the, the skills per se to, to do anything with it. So mm-hmm. I think that came more from my own reading, you know, and just being interested in and trying to understand, you know, what was wrong, how do we fix it? Mm-hmm. And I guess I've always had a, a deep kind of a fascination on how do we solve problems and what are the big challenges and why can't we fix them? And, mm. you know, can I figure that out? Yeah. So it, were your parents sort of open to your going to university or was that quite a novel thing for them? No, no, they were, they were definitely very encouraging of that. So yeah. they were, you know, I guess they understood the value of it and wanted us to have that opportunity. So they, they certainly encouraged it. It wasn't something I had to, to yeah. fight for or wasn't sort of looked strangely upon. It was yeah, a, like, what do you, why, why yeah, do you yeah, want no, to do they, that? They could understand the value of that and, yeah. and definitely encouraged me to do that yeah yeah well that's good and then it sounds like you had multiple things that you studied at university yeah how did you get into the first area that you were looking at yeah well i actually i actually came to canterbury because i wanted to study engineering and that was the that was sort of the starting point for me Mm -hmm. um but within a few weeks i really loved the physics side of things and my engineering lecture wasn't so good i guess and so i decided to switch over and I went to see the university and actually switched my courses around um, at the end of the first semester to say, hey, look, I want to focus more on the physics side of things. And second year engineering, I think, was a lot more interesting and second year physics was quite boring. So I then ended up enjoying helping my friends from the previous year with their work more than mine. But right, <laughs> <laughs> but it was at that stage that I also found out about um, medical physics and I thought that was something really fascinating and you know being able to use physics in something so useful in solving you know, big medical problems that, that really sort of engaged me and I, I got excited about that and the right. possibilities. And so what sort of things were you focusing on there? Yeah, so I did, I did a number of different projects um, and worked on looking at and identifying diabetes before w- without using blood was one of the key things and looking mm-hmm. at that um, before you really had the symptoms so it had that possibility of um, almost being preventative to tell people hey look this is something that's going to happen given your current situation right How so was that, that looking at type 2 diabetes um, or it was it was yeah or? it was more type 2 at that stage but yeah. yeah so it was yeah yeah and what did you what did you find? <laughs> well, was it was it possible to to yeah, narrow no, we, in? Yeah, no, we found we found some interesting. Um, we had some really good results around that. Yeah. Um, the the company that that I was involved with there um, ceased operations because of funding rather than anything else, and mm. so the the project kind of came to an end that way. I see, yeah. and and that's that's then what eventually led to me going back to university to work there because that was around the the GFC and no one was hiring, so there was sort of a. Yeah. what do I do and um, I was like well you know go back to university they were keen to have me and <laughs> it kind of went from there yeah and is that when you got more involved in the learning side of things yeah, yeah. because um, one of the things that I was always sure about was that I would never be a teacher and so it was only really sort of something I did a bit on the side of you know working uh, when I was studying and I realized I quite enjoyed it but then when I went back there I ended up doing a lot of work on sort of curriculum development and it was that it started making me really think about well how do we make students understand something it's right. not about just putting the data or the facts there it's a how do we make that actually make sense to someone who doesn't know it and how do we write something in in a way that is interesting understandable mm. but also you know engaging and 
did did a lot of work for physics initially with that mm. and then math kind of saw what I did and said hey mm. um could you come and work on one of our courses as well and mm. it's almost what you're talking about is almost a different conception of learning isn't it like the the way of thinking because I, I told you I lived in Japan for five mm. years one of the things I noticed there was there was a lot of memorization yeah. and a lot of rote learning and just you know, particularly when they were learning English, mm-hmm. sometimes their grammar was better than mine. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> yes. they had studied it and studied it in a technical way, mm-hmm. but they couldn't speak the language. Yeah. And so that it's just that difference between, you know, memorizing stuff and actually understanding it so that you can speak, for example. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and this is a really you know, interesting point, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, but it's certainly something that I realized a lot studying both in New Zealand and in Singapore and the sort of differences in learning styles and mm. everything. And I think this is something where New Zealand is far ahead, you know, globally right. in terms of the way it thinks about education and it's much more focused on actually learning to understand and learning to make it useful rather than rote learning and memorization, which yeah. may have had a value, you know, a hundred years ago, but is now kind of completely irrelevant in most areas because yeah. we always have a phone which we can look it up and as long as we know how to find it. Yeah, yeah. So what you're really talking about maybe is making the education accessible for people. And, accessible and, and relevant. Want, and enjoying it, wanting to learn, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. relevant is really important because yeah. if, if you enjoy something or think it has value to you, you're going to spend a lot more time and effort into doing it and you'll have fun while in the process, and so you'll learn much better. And you know, I saw that in my own results. When I was at uni, the courses that I enjoyed, I always did better at. Right. And not because I put more effort in, just because it happened. And I think that's how learning should be. It should yeah. be a fun, kind of an interesting process. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it, it just echoes something. I interviewed some people recently who attended a conference called The Future of Learning mm-hmm. um, that was held here in Christchurch. And one of them was Jessica Tribus, and she was talking about um, using games as a way to mm-hmm. really engage students yeah. to then find out what they wanted to do with their careers and their lives, mm-hmm. rather than sort of saying, well, you could be a this or a this or a this, actually using technology to give them, you know, real experiences. Yeah. 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 And I think I think that's one, one of many ways, but mm-hmm. I think one of the key things that I sort of found is that you really need to teach people things in a way that seems relevant. You know, if I if I told you to go memorize a bunch of numbers for no real reason, you'd say why and why would you put effort into that? But if yeah. you see how this is going to help you with your own dreams or passions, well, it becomes relevant. And I think, yeah. you know, even abstract subjects like math can be taught in that way. Mm. And, you know, we could take an example like learning about sine waves, you know, something that's just a bunch of, wavy lines to someone who doesn't understand what they are Mm. but if you're interested in surfing and i teach you about sine waves and how they affect the tides on the beach and how that affects your surfing well suddenly it has a relevance to you right if i'm interested in farming then i can look at that and look at the seasons and the you know the way the temperature changes etc and then that has a relevance to me Mm. right and it doesn't really matter who or what your interests are some of these fundamental mathematical things are relevant to everyone Mm. but most teachers don't know about yeah. the, that depth. It's about communicating it, right? Exactly. In, in a way. And, and yeah. it's, it takes a you know, very broad understanding of, of all the subject matter and every student to be able to do that. And yeah. that's just not really possible. Yeah. And, it's, and then it's for the teacher as well to understand it well enough to explain it 
in a way that's relevant and meaningful. The thing I love about the podcast is I interviewed lots of different people. Mm -hmm. So I talked with Lauren Burr about a year ago, and she's Mm -hmm. a maths teacher. So she was explaining her own love of maths, you know, Mm -hmm. deeply. And then she was talking about maths being everywhere in the sense of look at music, you know, it's it's mathematically driven and look at, you know, it's basic, but, you know, snowflakes and the trees and there's so many principles there that if you relate it back for people then it's more relevant rather than just and then it's interesting yeah and then you're not learning something you're just enjoying yourself and yeah you know who doesn't like doing that yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so what did that lead into sort of that area you mentioned at the very beginning the idea of tutors and and things how did that yeah so so eventually i i sort of went through that process and got to the point where I was lecturing my own classes and I and I made a second really important realization there, which was that um, students would often come to me and say, look, I don't understand what you're teaching me. Mm. Uh, you know, first I was like, well, okay, that's, I need to improve my teaching. But, you know, looking, then I said, well, let's have a look at what you're doing and let me explain. And they said, look, I've been on this through the textbook, I've been online, I've looked at the videos, it doesn't make sense. Mm. And I would look at their work and say, well, no, you actually understood what I taught you. That right. part's all right. Mm. What is wrong is something you should have learned three years ago. I see. Back in high school. You know? Right. And and it was often these sort of fundamental principles which had somehow slipped from their memory over the you know the um, over the time, or that they might have missed that week mm. at school, mm. and so they never covered it. Mm. And the thing with things like mathematics is that it's so so sort of layered. Right, there's so many different layers, and if you don't know stuff at the bottom, then the top doesn't work. Mm. And I like to use the analogy of Jenga. You know, you have all the different blocks, and if you take too many of the blocks out at the bottom, the whole thing collapses. Right. And it's kind of the same with mathematics. If you're missing too many of the skills at the bottom, it doesn't matter how good your current teacher is or how well you're studying, the whole thing will just collapse because the foundations aren't there. Mm. And it's really, really hard for a student to to understand that or find what those missing gaps are because you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And it's that's one of the key things that a good you know, tutor will do is actually understand those and, and help you to fill them to build your foundation so you can do everything else. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think the reality is that class sizes keep getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. in most contexts. Yeah. And, um, you know, having a one-on-one you're clearly going to learn more yeah. in that context. Yeah. yeah. So what did that sort of lead into in, in that workout? What, what was it becoming in your mind or where were you headed at that point? Well, at that point it was, it was still, you know, realizing, learning, understanding what, what the issue was, but not really knowing what the solution was. And I realized that I could impact students with my teaching and I definitely enjoyed the job. I didn't enjoy all aspects of it. I certainly never liked marking, and that was, you know, something I've learned. Every other teacher I've talked to since mm-hmm. finds that annoying as well. But it was—I realized that you know I could only ever really impact the students that were in front of me if I was teaching as as a human. And so it was actually when uh, I met someone else who had, who was who had done some thinking about this, mm. and um, she had uh, had an idea around how this could be solved. And so that's that's kind of where the the journey of of Amy started, and okay. uh, it wasn't my initial idea. I mm-hmm. I won't ever claim that. But um, so how so did you have that conversation with them? 
Well, we, we met at something called Startup Weekend, which is a, an amazing kind of an event that happens around the world where you kind of go to learn how to start a company. Yeah. And we'd worked on another project together and got on well and you yeah. know, just sort of had a bit of a chat afterwards about you know what we were doing and our interests. Yeah. And you're and a true ambassador for Startup Christchurch, right? Because you're wearing a T-shirt as we're I, talking here. <laughs> I am. Yes, yes. I've helped to organize and mentor there yeah. um, for many years now. Yeah. Um, and and the reason why I do that is because I see how much value that gave me. So I sure. find it important to give back to the to the next generation, I guess. And yeah. Um, so so that's something I always make sure I put have time for. Yeah. So you met at the startup Christchurch. We, no, this was actually in Wellington. In Wellington. So we okay. met. We met at an equivalent one in Wellington. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a bit of a chat, and I could immediately see the the potential that this was a a way of you know solving mm-hmm. this problem and so mm-hmm. made sense in the context yeah, of what you experienced my, my professional experience i could see yes these this is a way of addressing some of those and yeah and so that's so i said hey look you know i'm interested in this yeah can i can i help you with that let me know if i can be useful for you and that's that's how it started right wow and then, did you know at that point any vision of what it might be <laughs> no i mean initially it was very much just a hey you're doing something cool and if you need help, let me know and I'll, I'll do yeah. something. And it, I had no idea what it, where it was going to go. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's often like that in life, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you have those conversations and then months go by or, or weeks or months go yeah. by and it, it changes. So at that point, um, did you have a name or something that you were working with? Because I'm really curious to understand Amy and sort mm-hmm. of exactly what it is. But yeah. what did it start out like? <laughs> so I think I think I had a a working name at the time which she had come up with and we kind of used that as a as a as a name um and then we had another name and then amy only actually came about much later it was a a random conversation late at night in the office and i sort of offhandedly just said oh you know she could have a human name like amy blah, blah blah and the conversation continued and then it was someone who wasn't even working in in our company and we kind of came back it's like yeah amy's kind of cool right and then it kind of you know it was like oh that could work. Yeah. And that was it. And then it sort of became codename Amy for a while because, you know, we hadn't really decided on a name, but it was yeah. sort of the, the project. And realizing that we had to be a global company to succeed just because of the, the cost of developing something like this. Mm-hmm. I did I did quite a lot of research and I think I ended up talking to people from about forty different cultures and languages to understand what Amy meant to them, whether that was offensive or appropriate or whatever and, and all of those. Because, right. you know, there's been plenty of situations where companies didn't do that and then yeah. ended up <laughs> in trouble in some some country. And so so we did that and, you know, made a long list of different names that we thought might be possible. Mm-hmm. And by the time we'd gone through them, um, we ended up with two. Mm. And one of those was Amy. Mm. And I had a had a chat to someone who was a marketing expert and I said, well, which of these two do you think? And they said, definitely go with Amy. And I said, well, I could have saved myself the last week, but now I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, well, that just shows the power of the gut instinct. The very first name that you said, you know, exactly. casually just, we could call it Amy. Yeah. That ends up being the one that you choose after all the research <laughs> yeah and i think that's this that's kind of the cool thing right sometimes you just have these brilliant ideas and yeah and it's something i've definitely learned and experienced more and more is just trust you there, there's a lot of very instantaneous opportunities and ideas that come up yeah. and you know we all have the opportunity to jump on those and make them happen and mm. just like like amy i could have just had that conversation and left it there and you know, not not said hey do you want a hand yeah 
and nothing would have come of it. But if you take those little tiny opportunities and, and work them, mm. any one of those can become something huge and interesting. So yeah, I, I well, like and that's the thing. That. Like our listeners, like they probably won't do what you're doing. Yeah, but we can all learn from that attitude, can't we? Yeah, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. At that point, then what what was it that you think gave you that insight or that vision of wow, this is really cool. I'd love to help you if, if I can. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was my experience and just sort of seeing that it was something that was a real challenge. And, and you know, I guess having that experience, understanding the value of it and saying, hey, look, yeah, I like the idea. I think there's something here. Can I, you know, give you some support? And and obviously and the conversation grew yeah. from there and, and here I am. But um, it was... Yeah, I think it's something that I've realized more and more over time as well, the value of those little things. I think at that stage it was probably just random and my genuine eagerness to help anything that was cool and I was working on a million projects at the time and helping out everyone and anyone I could. Right. Um, but then over those sort of years since have gone from helping out every project I can to realizing, well, if you want to do something properly, you have to cut that back. And yeah. now it's basically just Amy and that's, that's my entire life. But... You know, there's probably a happy medium, but for now, this is this is how it is, and I this think that's how thing. it has to be. So, yeah. All right. So, tell us about Amy. Exactly, what is it? What mm -hmm. is it that makes it distinctive? And yeah, yeah, I, I'm curious to understand. Sure. So, so Amy, Amy is an AI-based private tutor for math, mm -hmm. and what that means is basically to say, from my from what I said before, realizing that the best way to learn is to have a one 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 on one private tutor, mm -hmm. but having humans doing that is impossible because there aren't enough of them and it's just too expensive. Mm. And so what we said is we need to build something that does exactly that, but without humans. Right. So that it's scalable so that rather than paying $40 an hour for a good tutor, it now costs effectively nothing. Mm. And that means that not just the rich kids can have it, but anyone in the world. I see. With a basic internet connection a smartphone can now start to have that really high quality education mm -hmm. and so the the vision behind it is very much around democratizing education giving access to everyone and you know part of why i'm i'm in new zealand is because well that's where i'm from and i want to make sure that we we do this here and we help out here mm -hmm. but obviously we understand that a lot of the the challenge and a lot of the the market and the money is overseas and so that's why i do spend a lot of my time over there yeah but to just come back a little bit and explain Amy a bit more, the idea is that when when you're learning, you you have to solve problems and you, you learn best by solving them. Mm -hmm. And so Amy presents you with a problem and then you work through that with her step by step. And I guess the the best way of sort of thinking about it is it's almost like a chatbot, but not just chatting, it's doing math. So Amy will give you a question, you just do the first step of that, She'll give you feedback, tell you if you're right, or if you're wrong, she'll tell you why you're wrong, or and then give you a little tip or whatever that you need to, to help you get through that. I see. And that little bit of feedback is actually quite important because, you know, it might be, ah, oh, I can see you've added here instead of subtracting, or, you know, you need to multiply these numbers, or whatever it is. And it, it is specific enough that it will solve a lot of the little things that you get caught up on mm -hmm. if you're trying to work on your own. And that in itself is quite valuable, but the, the real power of Amy is that she actually understands what you've done and why. So 
when you finish the problem, she'll actually go and teach you that specific skill or those skills that you need in isolation. Mm. So that rather than just doing the same problem over and over, if you don't understand it, she'll teach you what you need to understand it and then go back. So, you know, you might be working on a year 13 calculus question. If you make the right mistake, she'll go back and teach you the algebra you need to solve that or the trigonometry you need. Right. If you're really struggling, she'll take you back and teach you how to add two numbers together if that's what you need hmm. and then build you up step by step by step until you can actually solve the original question. Yeah. So she's um, helping you get the Jenga right from the exactly. bottom correct, yeah. right? And she and she fills those gaps in your Jenga as I you see. need them. You don't mm -hmm. want to just go through and do every one of them because that's boring. Mm -hmm. But right now, solving this problem is relevant. Yeah. So would you say the AI bit, because I'm curious to unpack the term a bit. Yeah. And, and I've talked with Ben Reed on this podcast before and gotten mm -hmm. his input and, yeah. and others that, that you'll know. But I'm just curious, like the AI element that you would talk about is mm -hmm. partly, partly it's that Amy is identifying, okay, he, he missed out this bit here. Therefore, we're going to teach again mm -hmm. this year 11 algebra, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, is that part of it? or that's, that's definitely part of it. There's actually a lot more to it than that because mm -hmm. understanding how mathematics works mm -hmm. and how it all connects and fits together mm -hmm. would be an impossibly huge task for us to do as humans. Sure. So actually a large part of the, the AI in our system actually isn't Amy, who's the teacher, but what we call the sister, Abby, who does a lot of the, the hard work in the background. Okay. And so Abby does the analysis and understanding of how mathematics works, how it all connects together, mm -hmm. what needs to be taught when you make what mistakes, and, and you know, even understanding what sort of feedback to give based on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. She kind of prepares all of that, and then Amy has that information to then use, and then Amy has an understanding of of you as a student and how mathematics works and based on who you are and what you've done and she can then make the best recommendations for you and that needs to be different from someone else. Mm -hmm. Even if you made the same mistake because you may have a, a previously really good understanding of something, right? But we're all humans so we might make a little mistake here or there. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to then go, oh, I have to go learn this thing again when right. you understand it. So she kind of has to have that, that level yeah. of sort of... So Abby moderates her sister by saying, actually, he probably understands that, that bit. Yeah, but yeah. So, so, yeah. so, so sort of there's, there's a fundamental understanding of it all, and then Amy kind of has that more personal relationship, like That's a human it. tutor does, and says, yeah. well, I actually understand you know this, so let's, let's take that as a sort of typo and give another go, and we'll check it later on just to make sure. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and understanding you know, where you're at and how much you need, et cetera. So. Right. Got it. And then the power of technology has to do with exponential application because you and I could be sitting here, you could be my tutor and teach yeah. me, whereas this could be teaching 10,000 people at the, of same people time. at the same time. Yeah, exactly. yeah right. And, and the cost of development, which is huge, is a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't matter how many people use it, your actual you know, cost at that point only goes up slightly because, yeah. yes, we have servers that have to run it, but that's nothing compared to a human. Yeah. So you mentioned you were traveling around Asia and you mm -hmm. know business development type of things. Yeah. Who are you speaking with? Is it is it institutions that would use it or is it investors or is it other people in technology who can offer solutions or it's, it's a mix it all of those. <laughs> it's it's actually a mixture and, and yeah. it's been quite interesting. Um 
over the last three or so years since I've been full-time on this project, mm -hmm. I've had a number of invitations to speak at conferences. Mm -hmm. And they come in different flavors. So there's the, the sort of future of work um, AI for business people. So then I get to speak to you know, C-suite people from big international corporates who want to know what AI is doing and looking at different case studies, but also the future of work and how is that going to change. And obviously the future of education affects the future of work a lot because we're not going to employ the way we used to anymore mm. because it doesn't make sense, et cetera, right? So there's, there's that element. Then there's, of course, the talking to educators, mm. whether that's teachers or principals or people who are thinking and trying to understand, you know, where is the future of education and how is it going to look and how is it going to work? So there's a lot of that conversation. Yeah. Um, but also then talking to other people in industry. And so, you know, there's conferences where people like myself come together from all over the world or all over Asia Pacific to discuss and understand, well, where is technology going? Mm -hmm. Who's doing what? And network and connected, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. I think it's those three groups that I'm speaking to mostly at conferences. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, the business development work I do, it really comes down to a few different key groups. So there's publishers who make textbooks who realize that they're becoming irrelevant very quickly who want to make that relevant again. I see. And so we can work with them to put their content onto a smart system so they can suddenly have a, a really smart digital solution that will become the, the natural um, air, I guess, of, of their system and, and makes their contents relevant. Mm -hmm. So that's one group. The second group is people who already have online ed tech um, companies um, in in an international kind of a sense that's things like Khan Academy. You know, they have fantastic content and have, you know, done an amazing job to make the information accessible, but the technology behind it isn't that good. So they are, they make fantastic content, but mm. actually there's none of the smarts behind it that can decide what to teach. So we could work with someone like that to say, look, we can tell the students exactly which videos to watch when, mm -hmm. and we can do that feedback, and the two working together is really powerful. Right. And so that's that's a sort of a, a key potential partnership as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I actually, I've thought a lot about this because when I got back to Christchurch after 11 years overseas mm -hmm. and got back sort of thinking about um, being a lawyer yeah. <laughs> and um, met with Andre Link mm -hmm. who was doing chatbot type of things and we with some others um, pulled together a company called Active Associate which basically does chatbots for law firms right. so mm -hmm. the client is able to interact on the law firm's website you know, and ask some questions mm -hmm. um, and part of the challenge that we found because we were talking about being an AI driven chatbot solution mm -hmm. you know Part of the challenge that people kind of immediately thought too far ahead, you know, like that somehow we develop something that actually was truly AI in mm -hmm. the sense of it was thinking on its own. It was there would be no human inter no human inputting sort of here's the answer to this type of question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious on your own take on this because there's different sort of levels of AI, isn't there? There's yeah. you know there's sort of the programming. Um, is it cool today? yes, no type of mm -hmm. interaction. And then there's that sort of much higher level, which I talked with Ben Reed about actually, mm -hmm. um, you know, it actually 
starts thinking for itself and then we start getting worried as humans when there's a video camera and it's watching <laughs> us and you yeah. know space odyssey type of thing yeah but, yeah no no you're, you're absolutely right there are very yeah there's many different layers of mm-hmm. ai and the word is probably one that's changed its meaning the most over the last 20 30 years because yeah. you know what was considered as the amazing ai 10 years ago 20 years ago is now something we would never you know, think to call AI, right. right? Yeah. You know, beating the best human at chess back in 97 or 98 was this feat of, you know, intelligence. Mm. But now that's just the chess computer. Right. And I don't think most people would see that as AI that, you know, and, and it goes on and every few years there's you know, new breakthroughs now and mm. that, that technology is, you know, exponentially increasing. Mm. And so what, what was, you know, amazing a few years ago is now sort of so, uh, what? It that's, is. It is that's that's is, just yeah. a bit of machine learning, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a part of AI, but there are so many different layers of that. And yeah. I still remember probably about four or five years ago sitting in a lecture from a guest professor talking about, you know, the fact that they just figured out how to identify edges on pictures. And it was amazing how sort of, soon after that suddenly we could identify what a cat was mm. you know and that and that change from wow you know we can see a line <laughs> yeah. to this is a cat yeah. to now being able to look at and identify you know the whole scenes and things like that is that the progress is just incredibly fast yeah but coming and then the beauty that, of that is you can start to see some amazing applications like i know um cacophony project are doing mm-hmm. some identification of pests in yes. the wild that are you know destroying the native birds so the the cameras are really great and the computer can say well that's a rat yeah and that's a cat and that's oh don't worry about that because that's just a native bird you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you see like whoa there's real potential there because if it could analyze hundreds of hours of data in an instant then yeah it's pretty cool and i think that's that's the real power of this technology is the fact that it it does stuff we wish we could do, but we could never afford to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could have someone sitting there watching every cat or rat that walked past, but yeah. they might be there for three days and nothing comes past. And yeah. <laughs> I think taxpayers would start complaining if we did that. But if you have cameras sitting there doing that and it's all auto- autonomized, then, well, yeah. no one minds because scalability yeah. is, is Well, wonderful. I think that's what they're looking at in that particular, yeah, just yeah. to round out that. Um, I think 2040 Limited is the company that's commercializing some of those sorts of technologies which you or I could buy a camera that then, you know, points at a certain part of the bush and would identify the animals and things. So it's pretty cool. So for Amy, um, how do you think of her? You've used that, you know, it's almost like a person. How how does she rank on the scale of AI or what's your feeling about yeah, she so, fits in so, so Amy, like most AIs, and I'll say most, there, there's possibly some of the edges that are getting mm-hmm. smarter than this, are very specialized. So Amy can teach you how to do math, yep. but she can't tell you how to cook. Right. <laughs> right. She can definitely not take over the world or drive a car or anything like that. Yep. She, she understands her domain and can do that one thing. Mm-hmm. And no matter how smart she gets, that's all she can do. Right. So... It is, it is a very specialized AI and it fits within that category like most of the AIs we're, we're dealing with now. Yeah. Um, I think AlphaGo and things like that are on the edge of the, of the new sort of more general AI where you can teach it how to play you know, Go and then you can teach it to do something else. And, right. and, the, and that's a whole different exciting kind of field in its, in its own mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. 
but I think for a lot of what's useful right now is actually these specialized AI. It's just like, mm. you know, your lawyer chatbot. What we're chat talking bot. about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, you don't want your lawyer chatbot suddenly specific. give me advice on how to cook my dinner because, well, yeah, it doesn't need it's to. It's not going to be a lot good. Of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or giving um, a tutorial about an algebra or whatever. Well, exactly, it is. right. Yeah. And it's, it's like humans to some degree, right? Mm. We we go to a lawyer because they'll give us advice on legal yeah, things, not so things. that they suddenly check us and check if we have appendicitis. Yeah, a we wouldn't trust them, and b would wonder what on earth they're doing. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's some of those things that. Yeah, you know the crazy thing about this podcast is we're recording it in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. So we're kind of talking in the current. You know, this is what's happening, and here's where we're at. What I wonder is, you know if our great grandchildren listen to it in a hundred years, mm-hmm. are they just going to be shaking their heads and going, gosh, <laughs> they just had no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they will, but I don't think it's going to take that long. I think given yeah. 10 years from now, we'll, you look, see we'll, we'll look back at it and go, yeah. wow, we had no idea what was coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go there in terms of where do you, it's 2030 right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think we'll have seen or be, talking about when we do our second episode in 10 years <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a very good question it's one i used to enjoy challenging my students on and as humans we're very very bad at predicting forward especially on non-linear situations like yeah. we live in and i think you know the the best sort of way to understand what's happening in 10 years in the future is to look back 20 years and say how much has it changed since then Right. And so if you if you go back 20 years from now, you know, phone banking was pretty cool. Mm. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the Internet was something that a few people had and you could send an email. But it was. Yeah. Not there was much, not a lot happening. There's not much right? potential there. The, the, you know, people saw it as still pretty much a gimmick. Yeah. Right. But if we think about that now. Yeah, well, it's just in, ingrained in it's, everything. It's isn't become it? a key part of us, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I was flying over from Sydney the other day, transferring money around the world. Yeah. In real time, there was no question about that, right? Yeah. I yeah. can video conference with people, and I do this on a daily basis around the world, and it's uh, it costs nothing, mm. right? Ten years ago, making a phone call to the other end of the world would cost you half a fortune for half an hour. You know, mm. it's it's the rate at which stuff is changing, and it's the it's true the way that all of this technology is becoming completely ubiquitous mm. so it's, it's it's becoming hidden mm. we don't think about what's happening in our phone when we quickly google something or do something right mm. we just have more information in our pocket than president clinton had when he was president mm. and that sort of stuff is so automatic to us mm-hmm. that we don't even realize how how quickly things change yeah and so so i start my, my answer to you this sure, way yeah that's good i think you have to have context and so i think you know by the time 2030 comes the world will be as equally unrecognizable as 2020 would be to someone in 2000 mm. and you know i i am slightly controversial in saying this but i i think that most countries in the world will have probably banned humanly driven cars mm. right mm-hmm. and and people say no that's far too fast but i say well it only takes so long when the biggest risk factor to driving is humans yeah. and then you have to ban them, mm. right? And and that doesn't just go to cars. I think a lot of medicine will be completely automated mm. because we like human doctors because they make us feel good. But how much better does the AI have to be than the human before you go, well, I'll have a hug from my friend and make him or her make me feel better, but let the AI do the doctoring because right. they actually get it right. Yeah, and 
you know, there's, there's and the level of analysis that you can get from a blood sample or a scan <clears throat> yeah. will pick up things that are so much deeper than yeah. a, a GP, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and the the thing with technology like this is the fact that the rate of growth and understanding is mm. exponential, right? Yeah. If we, any human doctor, spends their entire career learning, right, which is what you do, mm. you have 60 years, but now you suddenly take every human doctor's learning and put that data into one system mm -hmm. and you have a doctor that's you know a few million years old they have a lot of learning a lot of experience mm -hmm. they can draw on mm -hmm. and that's that's just so powerful and so valuable that no human can compete with that yeah which doesn't mean that humans become irrelevant they just do the human part of the job right and that's that's not normally you know yeah which but it's still essential <clears throat> part you know it's, like it's the, an essential part because yeah. i'm just thinking with my little legal chatbot example you yeah. know i've quickly realized that there's still a role for the lawyer the, the person yeah because to be able to listen and talk with people and understand what they want to yeah. achieve and help work out okay here's how we're going to get there that is still a vital part Absolutely. and at least for the relatively foreseeable future it would be very difficult to to absorb that information from the other person in yeah. the room in a way that you really only get with the wisdom of having done it for a while exactly and yeah. so you know it's it's going to be a lot about symbiotic relationships mm -hmm. right you will meet your client and understand what the actual problem is yeah then you'll go tell the the, the robot mm -hmm. or the ai what you need yeah they will then read through fifty thousand cases yeah. in case law and tell you these three are relevant and all of that and give you all the data you need then you can do the interpretation and say well this is how we present it to the court because yeah. we are you know dealing with a human jury and we have to play on their emotions and blah 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 to make that work yeah and i think that symbiotic relationship mm. is going to become incredibly powerful yeah and i think what technology will do is really to to help humans become more human because the machines do the mechanical parts of our lives which yeah. let's be honest most people don't like yeah yeah yeah, well, that's that's how I view it. Is it's actually a really positive thing because yeah. the worst part of any job, I think, is when you feel like you're just filling in a form, mm -hmm. and it's just I did that form yesterday, and I'm going to do it tomorrow, and the yeah. next day, and the next day. So if you can get rid of those manual tasks yeah. and just like actually, I can focus on the higher level stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's and good. as humans, that's what bores us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We get frustrated by those things, and we'd love someone to help us. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's good. I just finished a paper, which I'll send you by email afterwards, on mm -hmm. autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. And I co-wrote it with a guy named Mitchell Gingrich, mm -hmm. who was uh, working for Uber mm -hmm. at the time of a death um, about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so he has a lot of wisdom in terms of AV and where it's heading. Mm -hmm. But what we challenge in the paper is for the government to think proactively mm -hmm. about it is coming. You know, yeah. And I agree with you. That's what I've been saying, you know, five years, ten years, like... Mm -hmm. the technology is moving so quickly so then the challenge for the government is how do we get ready quick enough so that we are on the front foot rather than like oh this is now available how does this fit with our yeah. current road rules and all that yeah mm -hmm. and and i totally agree with you and yeah. i think the governments that will succeed and the countries that will succeed are the ones that embrace this and don't mm -hmm. try to ban it because mm -hmm. it, it becomes a no-brainer at some point yeah. And if you're part of that, then you direct where it goes and you can say, hey, look, you know, this, yeah. is, this is a transition we're going to have to go through. It's going to have its little pain here and there, but actually 
the outcome is going to be much better and for the greater good. So it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we make sure that we have those legal discussions beforehand around how it works? Yeah. Not afterwards. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's interesting. The example that I've seen given is like the e-scooters, the lime scooters Mm, and things and like, oh, they just appeared one day and then there was like, oh, and, um, you know, you could have kind of prepared for it before Mm -hmm. and had some thinking done about how it's all going to work yeah before they were introduced but yeah yeah well in the show notes we can put links to things so i mm-hmm. might put some links to different bits on this particular topic yeah yeah, no, that sounds good. yeah i've been researching it a lot myself as well yeah but yeah. i think you know if you look at a lot of the stuff that we take for granted now if we try to develop them now it would be just as controversial right i mean mm. Imagine going through redeveloping flight and planes right. and the number of people who died in that process. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it just seems absolutely crazy when you think about it retrospectively. Yes. Some people did it and then it became okay and then it became accepted. Yes. It's the same with the e-scooters. Yeah. Some yeah. people have crashes and hurt themselves, but any introduction of technology will do that. Yes. Cars did the same thing. Mm. Yeah. But we're not about to say, oh, wait, we have a few hundred people who die on the roads every day. Let's get rid of all cars. Yeah. It's just too impractical. And, you know, things like these scooters, I think they're a fantastic idea. It's mm. the only really functional public transport we have in most cities in New Zealand. And yeah. it is actually really helping with, with connectivity. Mm. So they're going to stay. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Oh, that's really good. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put these links to different things mm. and including to Amy. Um, yeah. So what is the the near-term future holds for you in terms of like how is well how's the reception been like are, are people out there using it quite a lot now or yeah so so we've been as i said in development for about three years mm-hmm. and we're actually just about to go live in a more commercial way into schools so we've been okay. testing in schools for those three years and had a number of wonderful schools around the country who have worked with us along that process mm-hmm. and we we wanted to make sure that different types of schools etc were involved so it did work mm-hmm. um but amy is becoming commercially available this year mm-hmm. um through a partnership we have with iqualify mm-hmm. and that's effectively the digital version of the textbooks most students use okay. in new zealand and so they've created a, a digital textbook but with amy as a tutor so you do your your learning content and then all your practice is done with amy so you actually really get that full learning experience mm. And that's, that's going out to schools in the next week or so. Um, and so there'll be students starting to use it. And um, yeah. again, we can put a link into that. If, yeah, if someone says, hey, you know, I want my know kids more. want to use that yeah. at school or want to give yeah. it a go. Then so will, they, it be, will it be through schools mainly? Or would it be like if I had a son or daughter who wanted to access it, will it be, um, you know, subscription individuals as well? Or, I think, or I think they yet? offer it both ways. Yeah. And so the, the first big kind of, launches into schools mm-hmm. but i think those those same courses are available individually as well yeah um we are looking at a number of other ones and um, we have a partner for primary school as well mm-hmm. um ypi again we'll put a link in yeah. so you can have a look at that if you're interested in that in the primary school and so in new zealand you know that, that sort of covers the the primary to high school um mm-hmm. side of things um but we are looking for other partners and we have a number of discussions at the moment so there will mm-hmm. be others coming soon but i can't talk about them until yeah until <laughs> contracts are signed obviously yeah, until they're there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but oh, that's but good I'm, I'm sure that you know um throughout this year a lot of new zealand students should be getting access to amy and yeah and starting to learn math and yeah oh that's great and you kind of have hinted at this but it sounds like the purpose or the 
original motivations for doing this is to make mathematics more accessible yeah. to people. Can you just describe that a little bit? Because part of the podcast, one of the things I'm curious about is new paradigms of thinking about mm-hmm. business. Yeah. That it's not just about, well, how much money can I make because I want to buy a bigger house. Yeah. That actually there's other things that motivate us as people. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just describe that aspect of it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so as I said, the, the key driver and the sort of vision behind it is is about making you know, democratizing education and making it available to everyone. Yeah. And there are a few reasons for that. First of all, we have a lot of big problems to solve. Mm. And actually, we need to make sure we get all of the world's minds online and skilled up as much as possible to deal with those. Mm. The, the, 20, you know, the, the coming century is not going to be an easy one for us as humanity, and we need to get as many people educated and, and helping to solve those problems, not making them worse. Mm. And so I guess that's one of the things that I really see as, as being vital. Now... As, as a company, we need to survive. So obviously we do need to charge for what we do because we have a lot of people to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we also see that we don't want to just provide that to the, a few people at a high cost. It's about how do we get it as cheap as possible to as many people as possible. And right. there are some markets where very cheap for them is still plenty of money. And so we can use that to actually subsidize. And over time, we want to look at finding partnerships in countries where they may not be able to pay anything, mm. but we can actually get it out there. But it'll take a few years until we're at the point where we have the financial stability where we can start to yeah. really do that. But it is a, a key part of our vision and, and where we want to go. Yeah. Um, because oh, that's good. It's a, it's a big market. It's a big world. We have a lot of people to teach. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the thing I'm encouraged by is the fact that you have it as a base that this is our vision of what yeah. we actually want. It's not just about how much we can sell it you know yeah. it's actually about access to education and yeah, making yeah. it more available which is you know we need more of that yeah <laughs> so well no i i agree but you know if, if i had wanted to make money i'd have gone and made a some financial company and yeah probably made a lot more money but been absolutely bored and not cared about it so yeah. again as i said if you're doing something you care about or you're learning about something you care about then it's then you're having fun the whole time and so yeah yeah you'll never work a day in your life <laughs> exactly right? and I, I very much believe in that so yeah. that's why this is something i really you know personally care about yeah. and so i want to figure out how to make it happen so. yeah oh that's great well it's been a real pleasure to talk with you and just to hear your background as well and like what led to this mm-hmm. and i love that thought that it's those chance encounters and chance moments seeing the opportunity there yeah because that's something i think we can all be on the lookout for yeah right so, yeah and i think that's um, what that's what sets those apart that do something and those that don't it's the yeah. fact they jumped on some opportunity the some little, little spark. a little yeah. thing that happened once in life they jumped on it and took it somewhere yeah yeah and they they happen to everyone but most of us just sit there and let them go past oh that'd be cool and then forget about it yeah yeah and then of course drive determination hard work there's, there's plenty of that <laughs> there's that's, some that's of that too. essential to get make it make it happen but it's got to start yeah. somewhere yeah we've got to talk about that too yeah. yeah oh that's great well thanks for coming on the podcast we'll put these links in the show notes so people mm-hmm. can find out more um but yeah i just want to say thank you yeah thank you very much for inviting me and it's been great talking to you no problem I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Raphael. For me, there was lots of things that stood out, but one of the key things was his views about the future. And just reflecting on 10 years ago, what technology was like, how much has changed to now in 2020 when I'm recording this, and how much is definitely going to be changed by 2030. 
If you enjoyed this episode, then you might want to check out some of the earlier ones as well, because there's more than 160 in the back catalog, as well as the website at theseeds.nz. And there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn, there's a Facebook page. There's plenty of ways to connect with Seeds. And those of you who go out and promote it in your networks, it's really, really appreciated. Until next time.